As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. from Total Soccer Show, the podcast where we sink our teeth into a meatier subject matter in the beautiful game. Today, it's all about the latest USMNT roster drop for the final two pre-World Cup warm-up games. That's against Japan on September 23rd in Germany, and then against Saudi Arabia in Spain on September 27th. Join me to discuss the 26-man roster and all who sail within her. Taylor Rockwell, almost said your name wrong. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. Graham Ruffin, hi. Hello there. And Joe Lowry. Hello, sir. Ahoy. Uh, Shall we start off, Tater, with a little overview of this roster? What is it for? What does it mean in terms of the context of the World Cup? Everything. Uh, We have two friendlies coming up in late September. We've got Japan and then we've got Saudi Arabia. So Greg Borhalter called in 26 players, which is the number of players that will be on that official World Cup roster. That's why he went with 26. He talked about that in his press conference yesterday. Uh, But this is sort of the final couple games, the final tune-up games, because we don't get the usual break we get when we have a summer World Cup, when like the season ends in May, then you'll have uh, a multi-week camp where you usually get two or three friendlies and a bunch of time together. You're not going to get that this time around. So this is sort of the final round of games for him to see how the squad is gelling, for him to see a couple new-ish faces, uh, and then there will be a couple months where the people who didn't make it have an opportunity to show why they should have, and maybe they end up making that final squad. But here we have 26 players, I think a large percentage of whom have already secured their spot on that final roster. Indeed. That roster, by the way, this upcoming roster will have an average age of 24 years and 201 days on that first uh, day of training. Um, and uh, the US had the youngest team to qualify for the World Cup indeed. And there are some a couple of talking points and potential surprises in this one, Tay. Before we get there, why are these games in Germany and Spain? Have you any idea? I think just because we always tend to play games at home, so he wants to take them on the road. I think it also cuts down on travel time for a large number of the players who are playing in Europe. Uh, Some of the MLS players will have to make that journey. I think they'll be okay with it. Uh, But yeah, it basically allows us to get uh, opportunities to play opposition on the road in 
less hospitable areas uh, in terms of not having as many fans in attendance, although you never know what you're going to get when you play in the United States. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, it's travel time. All right. Joe, um, just some background. How excited are you about these games? Is this, is, is this a big moment, this roster drop? Are these two games something you are savoring? I mean, I think they're big games. I'm, I'm looking forward to both of them. They're the last chance that the U.S. has to test themselves before the World Cup. And I think that is extremely important for a group that hasn't had its best players play together all that much, right? So injury-prone players have made this very difficult for Greg Berhalter. We saw Gio Reyna at the very start and the very end of World Cup qualifying. We didn't see him in the middle. Christian Pulisic missed some key time as well. Serginio Dest, Weston McKenney. I mean, the list goes on and on of key players that have missed out. All of those key players, in my mind, with the exception of a couple of injured players, Anthony Robinson and Tim Weah, are in this squad. So I think that makes these games hugely important for the U.S. Greg Berhalter made it very clear. This was all the way back in May when he basically said that September is is not going to be a time for experimentation. He was going to have most of the World Cup roster decided by September. And that seems to be the way he's gone. He made it very clear in a press conference yesterday that both Taylor and I were on that, that, that this roster will not be or, or doesn't have to be his World Cup roster. There is still wiggle room, and that's natural because injuries are going to happen most likely between today, as we're recording, or yesterday or whenever when the roster dropped and November 21st or, or even November 9th, which I believe is when the World Cup roster is going to be announced. There will be injuries, but this is, barring like a, an injury wave, basically going to be the squad. There might be one or two things that are different, but basically Berhalter's brought in the players he thinks can get results in Qatar, and we're going to see those players on the field against Japan and Saudi Arabia. And that, for me, is both an important thing and a pretty fun thing as well. I'd agree with Joe. I think, uh, just real quick, this is definitely, reading between the lines, the way he talked about it, very close to the final roster. I think injuries will obviously play a part in who ends up actually making it, and then maybe there's a few spots open, but his language was sort of indicative, that when he talks about a player like Tyler Adams, he talks about how important he is, how he's in the team. When he talks about somebody who is maybe in the team, then you would get that, yeah, he's in the conversation, you know, we like what he's doing here, we just want to see more from him, and then the players who are not being considered are needing to get into the conversation. Uh, so I think that's where you could see the sort of breakdown of talking about them in non-conditional ways means they're in. Talking about them as being involved in the conversation means that they are likely in or possibly in. And then needing to get involved in the conversation means they are not going to be in that squad. All right. Why don't we take a look at some of these positions? Let's go through it position by position. We'll start off, Graham, with the goalkeepers. Um, no Zach Stefan here, obviously, uh, carrying an injury at the moment. What do you make of the keepers? Um, obviously, Zach Stefan is the biggest talking point. There's some debate over his role at Middlesbrough at the moment. So obviously, the idea was that he would go on loan to Middlesbrough, get some game time, having been second choice at Manchester City for so long. He, You're right to mention the in- injury, but there is this sense that Zach Steffen has actually lost his place at Middlesbrough even when he does return from injury. So I think that's a question mark about the goalkeeping pool at the moment. Matt Turner may well be the first choice goalkeeper. I think we're going to come on to, to talk a little bit about the goalkeep- goalkeeping situation a little bit later on. But the three goalkeepers selected for this roster are, are Ethan Horvath, Son- Sean Johnson and Matt Turner. Indeed. Defenders, Tater. Um, no James Sands, who has not been doing some super good defending at Rangers lately. Yeah, I don't think we were that surprised by that, uh, even if Joe was forced to advocate for him in that squad preview <laughs> show we did. Uh, but I think because other areas, I think, needed more experimentation, more attention, and I think James Sands wasn't going 
to come in and assert himself in a spot. He wasn't going to be a dominant performer. He was going to be a utility guy. He was going to be a John O'Shea figure, as uh, Graham alluded to in that show, or straight up said in that show, I think. So I, I can see why he wasn't involved, because I think that's maybe too much experimentation. It's too much that you have to figure out. Uh, and so the defenders, to me, make a lot of sense. Uh, Reggie Cannon is in there to be a right back, but also a right center back on occasion. Cameron Carter-Vickers does end up making it. I did feel bad for James Sands that two of the three people that had dinner with Greg after the old firm derby uh, made it. James Sands was not one of them, but the other two did. So there's that. James Sands put ranch on his pizza. That's the that only explanation. That, that was the only it. explanation. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, but Serginho Dest makes it, which is very exciting. Uh, now with AC Milan, uh, Aaron Long is in there as a center back. So too is Chris Richards. Joe Scally will be uh, in there. Probably uh, Joe and I texted a little bit about this. The way Burhalter talked about it is that we would see one of the right backs because there are four. We would see one of them played on the left side. That to me says that we're going to see Sam Vines start one game. Sam Vines is there as a left back. And then we'll see Joe Scally start the other. DeAndre Yedlin and Walker Zimmerman rounding out the rest of your defenders. Uh, no Tim Ream either, Tater. No, and uh, that was one that Berhalter was asked about, talked about, and uh, I think was a player that he talked very positively about, praised him for what he's done with Fulham this season, and did mention him as being still in the conversation. There's the conversation again. But then also did, I think, when asked specifically about him, mentioned that he doesn't have necessarily the speed that we yeah. want, but he is so good uh, with the ball at his feet. But I think... It sounds to me like Berhalter more concerned about the lack of pace than he was what he brings on the ball. And Matt Doyle pointed this out on Managing Expectations, which is Tom Bogart's podcast. Check it out if, if you haven't. Doyle pointed out that Greg Berhalter has been very steadfast in using his positional profiles to shape his call-ups. And what I mean by that is Greg Berhalter, to defend well and in the way he wants to, prioritizes athleticism. And that athleticism might come at the cost or at the expense of not having the best passers in the pool. Think John Brooks is exiled, though there might be something more there, and Tim Reams as well, even though that's been a much more cordial one, it seems like. Those two players are great passers of the ball, but they're slow at times, or at least they're lumbering at times, and they're not the quickest in terms of short movements or, or acceleration. They're not in the picture. You know who is in the picture? Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, players that are okay on the ball. Zimmerman is better than Long in my view, but not not Ream or Brooks level passers. They're in this group anyway. The same goes to the striker spot, which I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but Baralter basically said, you know, there are certain attributes we prioritize in our strikers for them to be able to help link play, for them to be able be, to be able to spin and run in behind, and then for them to actively contribute defensively. And the, the strikers that Greg Baralter brought in, I think do that stuff and, and we can touch more on them later, I guess. Uh, Joe Midfield uh, looking pretty solid with Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca Del Torre, Weston McKenney, Yunus Musa, and Malik Tillman. Yeah, no surprises in here. The closest one to being a surprise is Malik Tillman. I didn't know how Baralter was going to choose to build this squad. We guessed three three goalkeepers and nine defenders on Tuesday. That turned out to be true. I didn't know how the rest of this was going to shape out. Part of me thought you know, we might see Malik Tillman up in the forward group at the expense of of one of the MLS players that are involved. And we might see someone like Georgi Mihailovic pop up in this midfielder group or or to see Georgi in the forward group. We didn't. I think Georgie is one of the bigger snubs from this this camp in particular. At this point, I don't expect that we'll see him in the World Cup because he hasn't worked with Greg Berhalter, I believe, since mid-2019. So he hasn't really been in the picture, even though I'm sure Greg Berhalter would say that he is. 
Either way, Acosta and Adams make sense as the logical number six options with Adams as the starter. De La Torre, McKenney, and Musa are the, are the first choice players at the number eight spots with McKenney and Musa being one and two respectively, I would imagine. De La Torre is some depth there and Malik Tillman is even further down. Greg Barthel was asked, you know, how he thought about Malik Tillman at the moment and basically said he needs to play better. And Graham, I know you would echo that. I don't think he's been exceptional at Rangers over the last couple of games. He doesn't start in the Champions League over Tuesday, Wednesday. So he's still in the squad, but I think he's a little bit further down the pecking order. Joe, Joe, I know you threw to Graham there, but I'm going to jump in to say that was an interesting moment in that press conference and one that I appreciated because uh, Berhalter is so often pretty cagey in his answers. Like He'll tell you what he's thinking, but he tends to say it in very diplomatic ways. And for him, when asked about Malik Tillman, to basically say, like, yeah, he's been really disappointing his last couple games. Like, it was pretty direct. Uh, I, I think told me that, like, like Malik Tillman is there, but he needs to have a very good camp if he wants to continue to be there. He said he's disappointed with his last few performances, but he has a ton of quality. Uh, the coaching staff has been highly impressed with him, and they think he has a really high ceiling. He's done well, but needs to do better. So I, I feel like Tillman will get my hope would be if we're playing Japan and it's like one to one in the 75th minute, I'd like to see Malik Tillman come on and try to be that attacking player when the U.S. Uh, theoretically has or Saudi Arabia when they have more possession and are really chasing that winner. That's where I feel like Tillman yeah. could have an impact. And I think that's why he's in this squad. How, how much do we read into the positional classifications on this release? Is this just someone at U.S. soccer like Twitter admin? That's I don't done think this? so. Or the, or the fact that Malik Tillman is down as a midfielder, when someone like Brendan Aronson is down as a forward, does that tell us anything about the squad construction? I think in the past there have been some examples of that actually having an impact. But with how Berhalter has shifted this U.S. team to play at times, where I think back to June and Brendan Aronson's playing as a hybrid number eight hybrid attacker, I think there's moments where he's doing both jobs. And so the fact that Aronson's in the forward group I would be shocked if that means we don't see him in that hybrid role again. Same with someone like Gio Reyna, who could potentially do that. And Malik Tillman, I would put in that category as well. Maybe this means that Berhalter sees him as a number eight option first and a winger later, and Aronson's probably the other way around. But it's going to be fluid. I'd be very, very surprised if Mm -hmm. we didn't see some interchanging and even some purposeful tactical planning that involves the the player swapping spots at times. That's interesting to me for for Tillman, because having watched him for Rangers closely, we haven't seen him as an eight or in in a deeper role in midfield. He's been on the right side of the attack, he's been on the left side of the attack, and he's been played almost as a number 10 at times, but he he hasn't played in that deeper role. So I'm interested to see if, if Berhalter does anything with him in, in a deeper position. I really think we've talked a lot about how the U.S. could potentially be ball dominant against two of their three group stage opponents and potentially even England, who don't always want a ton of possession, uh, contrasting that with what they've wanted previously in tournaments. So I, I still think Malik Tillman might be there as a, okay, now we're playing against a bunkered Welsh team. It's one-to-one. We need, we're going to like throw attackers in and make something happen. That's where I see I could see Tillman come in, replace one of the number eights, but play much more as a number 10 and be much more attacking and aggressive uh, centrally. I think it's going to be next to impossible, Taylor, to be honest, to get Malik Tillman on the field at the World Cup if he makes it that far. And that, this is this is sort of to make a larger point about this roster and the purpose of this camp. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we don't see players like Ricardo Pepe and if we don't see players like Malik Tillman and even some of the backup fullbacks, right? I mean, a lot of these players... If this is truly to prepare for the World Cup, and the World Cup will be when it's it's winner, it's put up or shut up time, I just don't think unless it's a really emergency situation, we're going to see Berhalter dip too far down into the squad. Maybe I'm wrong about that, yeah. and maybe Berhalter does still want to experiment, 
But Tillman, to me, feels like a guy that's that's most likely going to be riding the pine unless there's injuries to Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola and other players that Brawlers either work with for longer or just clearly better players in the case of, of some of the other wingers and, and midfielders ahead of him. Yeah, I, I think what I'm thinking of is something like Julian Green in 2014, who comes in and scores that goal against Belgium and sort of has that, like, we're just throwing it in and see what happens. But I think for that to happen, you would have to see a strong uh, performance from Alec Tillman in at least one of these games. If we only see him get five or ten minutes in both games and he is uh, not particularly influential, I wouldn't be surprised if he is left off that final roster. That's where I think he is one of those players that is in the conversation but not yet fully on that plane. So we've run through the goalkeepers, the defenders, and the midfielders as uh, USMNT Twitter has designated them. Uh, We haven't actually listed out the forwards. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's run through them because that's perhaps where the most discussion is going to lie here in terms of inclusions and exclusions. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show Big Thing. Let's talk about the forwards uh, as they are designated by US Soccer. We've got Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, uh, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and Joss Sargent in there too. Now, uh, Graham, this is interesting. Uh, Jesus Ferreira obviously coming in is, is good at um, FC Dallas breakout there. Joss Sargent getting back in the mix as well. Why don't we start off, though, with Ricardo Pepe, who yeah. one of the three strikers here, who isn't doing much strikering in the last 11 months, should we say? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. So this was undoubtedly, for me anyway, this was undoubtedly the biggest talking point of the roster. And it was a, it was a surprise to me that Ricardo Pepe is included, despite the fact, as you referenced, he hasn't scored a goal for club or country in 11 months. That's a 30-game goalless streak and there was some reasoning from Berhalter in, in, in the press call on Pepe um, a direct quote from him was keep in mind this is a guy that scored three goals for us in World Cup qualifying and has and has, has had a tough time since then and I can understand to a certain extent that Berhalter wants to stick with the guys that got the US through qualifying but there is there is a line right I mean I'm fair in, I'm fair in saying that am I not there is a line where loyalty becomes blind loyalty and Berhalter talks about how Pepe scored three goals for the US in qualifying, and that is factual, of course, he did. But qualifying is such a long process that you need to respond to the form of your your individual players. No team in individual football can end a cycle the same way that they start it, because that's just not how international football works. Um, and the cycles in international football are, are longer 
than they are at, in, in the club game. And the only reason I can think of, and, and Berhalter based, he kind of admitted this in one of in one of his answers to a question, but what, the only reason I can think of for this inclusion is that Berhalter, as we know he is, he's he's really high on Pepe and what he brings to this team and how he fits in with this team. And he wants to t- he wants him to take this one last chance to see if he can count on him to do the things that he was doing for the US earlier in the year. And as I said, Barhalter basically admitted that. He said, we're trying to get him confidence. We're trying to get him into the group and see if he can make a push for the final roster. That's TBD right now. So at this point, I think we can count Brandon Vasquez at a contention for the World Cup roster. That's one notable name left out of this squad um, because I don't think Barhalter is going to bring him in for the first time for the tournament itself. So the other, the other option is PFOC. And maybe Berhalter knows, feel he know, maybe he feels he knows what he's going to get get out of Jordan Peefock at this point with him in this form over someone like Pepe, who's just joined a new club, and maybe he'll rediscover his form between now and the World Cup. That's that's the I'm trying to think of reasons why Berhalter would do that, and that is kind of what I'm I'm stumbling upon. But I it's not. I have to admit it's not the decision even in terms of the squad construction and the way I said on Tuesday I want three strikers I want your first choice striker I want a striker who can come in and deputise for that first choice striker and not disrupt the two the, the team too much and then I want a plan B option you look at the three th- centre forwards in that roster Sergeant Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe I don't see that plan B option that plan B option would have been Brandon Vasquez or Jordan Peefock and maybe they come into the team for the the World Cup roster, I think that's a possibility, particularly with Pifok, not so much with Vasquez now. But it's it's an interesting choice, and I'm I'm looking forward to see how Pepe does over these two games. Graham, I think I think you're 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 spot on. I think it's basically Pepe when he was in form, when he had confidence, was scoring goals uh, for FC Dallas. He was scoring goals for the United States, and then he gets that move, and you feel like the confidence will continue. But the way things go with Augsburg, I think he is about as short as confidence uh, of, of confidence as one can be. Uh, and that's the thing that Berhalter talked about. We want to get him confidence, see what he, if he can make that final push. The thing that stood out to me, he said he can be dominant in the Dutch league, but will he be? Uh, I think that's a paraphrasing of what Berhalter said. But uh, this to me feels like, look, you were good for us before. We know that when you are, are confident and in form, you can be that difference maker. So we're going to give you this chance to sort of be around people that you're familiar with, be around friends, uh, hopefully have a good camp, uh, get some, I, I'm guessing he'll start at least one of these games and kind of remind you of how important you can be and how good you can be, then send him back to the Dutch league where hopefully he kind of rediscovers that form, catches fire, and then he ends up being a justifiable selection. But I think if this camp doesn't go well, or even if it does and he goes back to Groningen and then doesn't make that much of a difference, I think this is the kind of end of this cycle for Ricardo Pepe now. I think it is kind of last chance yeah. saloon for him. And I don't I don't hate that necessarily uh, because I think there are reasons to call him in. And I think I've talked about this before. This is a player that Berhalter has worked on having a relationship with. It's a young guy who is a human and just dropping him out of the squad and basically saying like, nope, you're done, sorry. I think that could have a disastrous impact on his career, genuinely. So I think... Berhalter calling him in is sort of giving him that opportunity not quite to be in the shop window, but just to remind him that, hey, like you are a very good player. You belong in this team. Now justify being involved in this team, because if you can't, there are others who will. And I think Jordan Pifak is potentially one of those. I don't think Berhalter's comments did much to inspire confidence that Jordan Pifak is in the conversation. Maybe that's just my reading. Uh, And as for Brandon Vasquez uh, to go with the conversation thing, um, 
when asked about it, he said, uh, we do feel bad for him. We told him it's not the end, though, and that he needs to keep himself in the conversation, which means you got to keep scoring goals. You've got to make it impossible for me not to select you, I think is how it's going to work with Brandon Vasquez. But overall, I don't think he ends up making it. I think it's essentially between Pepe and PFOC at this point. Taylor, can I can I jump in with, on your read on PFOC there and, and his, yeah. his lack of inclusion there? Because I think Berhalter's quote from uh, regards to him, he said, we're pretty confident we know Jordan's profile. We know what he can do, and we mm-hmm. didn't feel like we needed to see him in this camp to determine whether he can be on the World Cup roster or not. I can't tell what that means. Does that That's mean so? Yeah, there's so it, many mixed messages it, in that. Yeah, quote. Is, he, is he saying like we, you know, we know he's great. We don't even need to see him. Like, don't worry, you don't have to audition for this part. You've got the part. Or yeah. is he saying no, we don't need to see you because you're garbage, which obviously isn't the case. But it, it's it's confusing because if it's the former, that's like Gareth Southgate said to Harry Kane, we, "You don't need to come up for this window. We we know you're Harry Kane." Yeah, and I think if that were the case, if he was like, no, we know we want to give some opportunities to other guys, then Jesus Ferreira would not be there and would not start one of these games, which I'm guessing he will. I think the other thing that makes me think he's more down on Jordan Pifak is that he closed out that series of comments about forwards by saying, we want the guy that fits the best and we aren't willing to give up on Pepe just yet. Now, maybe the yet is the key thing there that like if it doesn't go well, then we will. But for me, it's basically... I want strikers who fit my system the way I want to play, similar to what we talked about with the center backs. And I think right now for Greg Berhalter, this is my read. I think it's Jesus Ferreira. I think it's become Josh Sargent potentially. And I think it is Ricardo Pepe if he can rediscover that form. If not, then maybe Jordan Pifak is that sort of change of pace forward, basically, or uh, change of approach forward. And I would love for him to be there, but it, it feels to me like he right now won't be. The other thing that is confusing to me about some of some of the way that Baratter justified his number t- number nine selections was um, how he has changed direction to get he's clearly changed direction to get Josh Sargent back involved in the, in this in this roster in this squad because he hasn't been involved for a while he's scoring goals for North City so all of a sudden he's he's back in to the roster and he's part of that of that number nine pool. But then he's asked to justify Pepe's place in the roster and he talks about how well he's done for the USMNT earlier in the cycle. So it's it seems like there's one rule for one player and another rule for another mm-hmm. where with Pepe, he's gone, well, he's done it earlier. And then with Sargent, who hasn't been doing it earlier, he's gone, well, he's doing it recently. So he's coming into the squad. There's some inconsistencies there in terms of how he's, how he's selected the roster. To me, it seems like part of that is because Baralter has different relationships with every player in this team, Mm -hmm. right? I I saw a tweet about this, and I cannot for the life of me remember where it's from, and I apologize for that, for whoever sent it, if you hear this. But it's this idea that, remember back to Honduras, and I talked about this on Tuesday, in my argument for Ricardo Pepe, I'm pretty sure, (laughs) even though I didn't really believe it. You know, we think back to that game against Honduras early on in World Cup qualifying. The U.S. had not performed well in the cycle yet, or certainly in that first half. Ricardo Pepe comes on and he helps the U.S. win that game. He, he may have, and this could be hyperbole, but I'm not sure that it is. He may have saved Greg Baralter's job or, or at least done a lot to secure that job. And then Pepe comes back and he ends up scoring more goals in World Cup qualifying than any other American striker. That's, that's a huge part of this. Greg Baralter has to feel some sort of loyalty, justified loyalty, I would add, to Ricardo Pepe for what he did in World Cup qualifying to get the U.S. to this point. That creates a bond between a player and a coach. When you come in and do that kind of stuff as a player, that's going to endear you to your manager. Now, I'm not inside the locker room, so it's a lot easier for me to say this. My only real thought on on the striker spot is I'm I'm good with Jesus Ferreira. I'm good with Josh Sargent. I'm fine with Ricardo Pepe. I don't truly care that much. 
I would have preferred to see Brandon Vasquez involved, but I do think there are some pretty strong arguments for not bringing Vasquez in either. So I, I don't know. For me, a lot of this comes down to the relationship that Greg Berhalter has with Ricardo Pepe. And I think in a lot of ways, it's it's good that you have a coach that has developed personal relationship and some loyalty to players. I don't think this is going to wreck the squad, nor do I think it's really going to make or break a ton. And I, I don't know. I think a lot of it boils down to that game against Honduras. Maybe they just aren't direct flights from Cincinnati, Joe. To, yeah, uh, Joe that makes sense. Maybe that's it. It's an air miles consideration. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Um, so Joe, one final note on this. If you were Greg Berhalter, sorry, let me rephrase that. Would you have made the same choices that Greg Berhalter has made in terms of this roster? Do you think there's anything that's way out of line here? Or is this, are we reading too much into this? Because obviously can, things can change before November as well. If I'm Greg Berhalter and I haven't gone through the rigors of World Cup qualifying, if I'm just evaluating the pool as a cold robot, I think I, I probably am bringing in Brandon Vasquez or PFOC over Ricardo Pepe. I'm not convinced Ricardo Pepe's going to play in this window. I could be totally wrong, so I'm not sure that stuff's really going to matter either way. And I, I also probably would have brought in, like I mentioned earlier, someone like Georgie Mihailovic or even Eric Williamson over Jordan Morris or Paul Ariola, and I, I would have let those players fill in, uh, Mihailovic or Tillman as an extra winger while Tim Weah is out. Tim Weah coming back in is going to mess with this construction anyway, and, and same with Jedi Robinson. Those players are going to be in Qatar if they're healthy and ready to go, which is not a guarantee. But really, outside of those two things, I, I have no, no tweaks or comments. Taylor, question for you. If this is the roster, if this were the roster that were to drop before the World Cup, would you feel inspired? Would you feel concerned? How would you feel? I would feel very concerned, to be honest. Uh, not about anything we've even really talked about, but specifically because if this were the official roster... I don't know who is starting at left back, and that makes me very nervous because that has been a spot that has been so important to the way the U.S. wants to play. Uh, Sergio Dest has scored goals from the left back spot when he's played there. Anthony Robinson has scored goals from the left back spot when he's played there and has been really, really useful in helping facilitate attacks and spreading the field while letting those kind of wide attackers move more central. So if we don't have him there, for it to be maybe Sam Vines, maybe Joe Scally, maybe Serginho Dest, it's just a lot of maybes, that would be my biggest concern. And strange to say that not knowing who the left back is would make me very worried, but it would, because I think that's just been, Anthony Robinson has been such a solid performer for the United States. But that aside, I would otherwise feel mostly okay about things uh, as they stand, because otherwise we kind of know who the center backs are, or who we think they will be. Uh, we know that we've got plenty of options at right back. I think uh, Matt Turner has sort of solidified his spot as the U.S. number one, and Berhalter talked about what he saw with him training with Arsenal and how he feels like he's still getting plenty of experience and improving his overall quality of play. So... No concerns there. No concerns with the midfield, even with the attack, I think, with, with the conversations we've already had. I think it's solid. It's just that left-back spot that would make me really nervous. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, let's talk more about the potential tactics and maybe some of the uh, questions that need to be answered in this roster. Back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show's big thing. Welcome back. Uh, Graham, do you expect any tactical meanderings to happen with this squad? Anything a bit different? Is this an art project after all? Because we've seen some <laughs> interesting... I think all football teams are art projects in some sort of abstract way. But um, no, I think um, I, I can't, I don't think we'll see all that much. Certainly not stuff that we have, we've not seen before. Obviously, Berhalter tried some, some different things in the June camp. He's, he's used a 4-3-3 formation pretty much all the way through qualifying. I think that will be the default setting for the World Cup, no matter really what happens in this camp, really, no matter what the, the injury situation is as well. I think that's going to be the framework the US builds around at the tournament. However, as I say, there, there were some tweaks in that June camp in, term, in terms of, and this is one thing I'm going to be keeping my eye on, in terms of how deep Berhalter was positioning Yunus Musa and asking him to build up the play. And at that point, that change was made because Wes McKenney was out injured at that point. Obviously, McKenney is, is back in the squad for this camp. So now I think we'll see Berhalter trying to make that, that tweak that happened in June with Musa starting a little bit deeper or um, being asked to start attacking moves from a little bit deeper. I think we'll, we'll see that tweak made with McKenney involved as well. And I think that's important because a lot of the USMT's attacks are going to have to come from deep at this World Cup because against the higher caliber teams like England or a last 16 opponent, you are going to have to play in those moments of quick transition. And that that will suit this group of players. I'm pretty confident that, that is, that's actually going to be a scenario that suits the USMT. But it will suit them even more if they can get Yunus Musa building moves from deep like he has been doing for Valencia this season. So I think there's going to be some subtle tweaks with that midfield unit I think that's I don't think we're going to see the US going to like a back three with wing backs or a front two even though I personally would like to see them experiment with a front two I don't think that's going to happen I think it's going to be focused on that midfield unit Joe any thoughts on a potential tactical experimentation here I I totally agree with Graham the only thing that I guess could be qualified as a tactical experiment would be the left back spot and it, it, it's more personnel than it is tactics but Joe Scally if we see him at left back and I, I, I do believe we will in this window he could change how the U.S. operates a little bit on that side. I think if you're playing with Joe Scally, it necessitates someone staying wide on that on that left side, which would likely be whoever the left winger is staying high and wide. So that, that could be a little bit of a change, but we've even seen Greg Brawlter do some of that stuff before. So no, I, I think other than that midfield alignment that Graham talked about, I don't, I don't think we're going to see a lot of mind-bending stuff here. All right, so obviously these kind of friendly windows are fact-finding missions for most national teams. So what questions does uh, Greg Berhalter need to find answers to in this specific break? Taylor, you mentioned uh, the potential left-back issues. What about the centre-back pairing? Um, I think my, my my read is that he has a good idea of who it will be. I think it will be Walker Zimmerman, and then it's uh, probably between Chris Richards and Cameron Carter-Vickers. But I think figuring out who your like rock-solid other centre-back will be is important, but not as important as it's been in the past, because I think I have... Uh, a lot of confidence in in both players, whomever it is. Uh, I hope I don't end up eating those words. But yeah, I think overall, I like a lot of the defense. Anthony Robinson, as I said, makes me nervous, or his lack of uh, being there makes me nervous. But then even with all the right backs that are there, I think Serginho Dest can be that difference maker. I like Reggie Cannon being involved. I like uh, DeAndre Yedlin being there as the chemistry guy and the locker room guy. And I like Joe Scally 
uh, being given an opportunity. I hope he gets some time at right back and at left back. I'm guessing he won't, though, with only two games and the number of people we're talking about here. But I think overall, I like I like most of the defense. All right. Uh, Graham, let's talk about Josh Sargent. Um, going from doing relatively little in the Premier League, with all due respect, to picking up form in the Championship, how good a grounding is that for a World Cup campaign? Um, it could be a better grounding. <laughs> I think the Championship is a decent level um, and his form deserves recognition. So he scored six goals in his last six games for North City. He was playing as a centre forward for a couple games when Timo Puki was out injured. And I think that's what initially caught people's eyes with regard to the USMNT and, th- and this roster was that's a position that last season when things didn't go so well for him in the Premier League, he wasn't playing in that position. So you could make the argument that um, he wasn't getting a chance to show what he can do. But since then, Pukki's come back in for Norwich and, and Sargent has been moved out to the right side. So there is a question mark about him. I think he deserves a look. I don't know whether... I mean, do we do we think Jesus Ferreira is properly locked in as a starting number nine? Or is Josh Sargent in contention for starting games at Qatar? Like, how, how, how do we view, in terms of the number nine, to go back to that discussion for just a moment... What? Who's fighting who for what spot? Is Jesus Ferreira just at the top of that chart and nobody can touch him? I think I think the distance between one and two is relatively close, and I think the distance between one and two in that bunching, and then three is is pretty wide. That's why I'm thinking about it. I would not be surprised at all if Josh Sargent starts one or both of these games. I think Jesus Ferreira has been the guy, but Josh Sargent can do a lot of the stuff that Jesus Ferreira can do. And I think Baralter really rates him. He started a, a lot of games under Greg Baralter. Think back to even before World Cup qualifying. So, yeah, I think there's certainly a chance that Josh Sargent could start one of these games. I still think it's probably going to be Jesus Ferreira, but it, it would not shock me to see that order flipped. Man, that's a really good point, Joe. If you, because I think if if I had jumped in with that one, I would have said like, no, it's it's Jesus Ferreira, and then there's a big gap, and then we'll see what happens. But I, I think you're right for for all the things we've talked about with the kind of relationship that that Berhalter and Sargent has, the form that Sargent is in. I think he brings in that physicality. I think he brings in the goal scoring ability. What we've seen with Norwich, he can also hold the ball up pretty well. So. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, that's uh, that's not as big of a gap as I would have expected. And the other, Ryan, to go back to your initial question, I don't think this has been mentioned yet. Goalkeeper is a question I have about this particular window. Not because I, I don't think it should be Matt Turner. I do think it should be Matt Turner pretty much regardless of how he's playing at Arsenal or, or if he's playing at Arsenal. But this will give us a chance to see what that actually looks like. So I think Turner is the pretty clear number one. Stefan being out of this window makes that even more obvious than it probably would have been otherwise. But seeing how Turner performs and what he looks like after not doing much at all with Arsenal since he moved, which was always going to be the reality for Matt Turner, we'll get a glimpse of what the goalkeeper position looks like. Because outside of left back, I think that is the the area that I have the most question marks about right now. And this September window with Matt Turner in goal, saving a few shots, could do a lot for my confidence about that spot and certainly his and, and maybe most yeah. importantly, Greg Berhalter's. Do we think there's a chance, obviously, if if Stefan's injuries continue, then there's a chance he misses the World Cup. But do do we think there's a chance he misses the World Cup altogether just through bad form? And then what, what impact does that have on the construction of the goalkeeper pool? Like, does Gaga Slonina come in as the third choice goalkeeper if it is 
Matt Turner and Sean Johnson or Ethan Horvath, is it worth taking Slonina along? If if I had to put money on it, I would say th- I would put a small, a very small amount of money on it. I would say that the three goalkeepers in this squad are going to be the three at the World Cup. Where you have Matt Turner as the number one, Ethan Horvath as, as the pretty logical number two, or Sean Johnson, who I thought was really good back in June. I think he's been an excellent goalkeeper in Major League Soccer for a while. And he's been someone that Greg Berhalter has brought in from day one of January camp 2019, his first ever camp in charge of this group. So he's someone that Berhalter knows. I think Stefan should have already played himself out of the squad when you look back at his performances with both club and country. I don't know that Berhalter would agree, but between the injury and this poor form and and maybe him being on the bench from Middlesbrough, I think those three factors could be enough to to sort of have him on the edges of the squad, have him not make the cut, and then it's going to be most likely Turner, Horvath, and a veteran, and that veteran I think is more likely to be Sean Johnson than anybody else. I think it's why he was so, so, real quick, Ryan, I think it's why Berhalter was so heavy on Stefan's injury history. Because uh, I agree with you. I think that it gives him like sort of an easy out to say like, oh, we would have had Stefan in there, but you know, the injury issues are a concern and we just couldn't, he couldn't get the consistency up to where we needed it to be. And so right now he has these three goalkeepers in camp and I think it would require Stefan becoming the starter again and looking rock solid to be back in that conversation because right now he has a way to kind of explain it away. He said, uh, I hope He's starting for a start, he's fighting for a starting spot, but his health has been a problem. This is about Stefan. He had an injection to help facilitate recovery, so right now he needs to get back into training rhythm, stay in his daily environment, and work to get back onto the field. All of that sounds like yeah, I'd love to see him, but he's just not there right now. He's not healthy enough, so you know we can't see him. And I and I think that's probably where things stand until Stefan really turns things around. I think we might have our three. Taylor, looking at it objectively, if it is if we are having the conversation of Stefan versus Turner then it's a player whose stock has dropped considerably versus one who might not play. Do mm-hmm. you not, is that not an issue? Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't. But I would say we've seen it in the past. I think of Sergio Romero, who was Argentina's starting goalkeeper for forever, and he was the backup at Sampdoria and then at Manchester United. It's not unheard of to have a national team goalkeeper not be the starting goalkeeper for their club, but it would be strange. I think it was always something that we expected when Turner went to Arsenal that yeah. he would be the backup. Uh, and then maybe one day he challenges or gets that starting spot. More likely to me is that he plays cup games and then eventually gets sold on. Sad as that makes me. But I, I think, again, reading between the lines, I think for Greg Berhalter, he is in an okay enough position now. I think if, the, if this World Cup were happening next summer, maybe things are different. Uh, because, again, talking about Turner, it was telling to me that in trying to kind of big him up a little bit, it was about, yeah, seeing him in training and seeing how he's interacting with some of the best players in the world in training and how he's responding to instruction in training. It was a lot of, he's getting tons of reps in practice. And at least he's still playing in practice. But I, I do think... It would be lovely to see a goalkeeper starting for the U.S. who has regular match experience, but I don't think it's gotten to the point where uh, Berhalter is ever going to consider somebody else other than Matt Turner. All right, last question for the group. What constitutes a good camp? What constitutes a good friendly window? No injuries. Yeah, Yeah. winning both games and no injuries is the obvious answer, I suppose, (laughs) Graham. But is there anything beyond that? Um, I think you want some performances that help you draw solid conclusions so you can start ticking off problems. So, for instance, let's have one of Vines or Scally play really well and offer everything Berhalter wants and needs in that position in that depth chart at left back so that 
one clearly moves ahead of the other in the depth chart and you know where you stand. Let's have some chemistry between Zimmerman and another, and another centre-back, whether that's Richards or C- CCV or Long or whoever else, just so that we can feel a bit more comfortable about that central defensive unit. Let's have Matt Turner make some good saves and look solid enough on the ball so that that debate is settled and by the time it comes November comes round, we know who, and Berhalter more importantly, knows who the number uh, number one goalkeeper is let's have Sargent or Pepe play well score a couple of goals or or equally and this may sound a little bit strange I would I if some players underwhelm that's not necessarily yep. a bad thing because you can kind of eliminate them from cont- contention to boil down what I'm saying a good camp would be if the USMNT come out of these two games re- regardless of the results because I don't know how much they actually matter but they come out of those two games having answered a few questions you don't want to be heading into into um I almost said October, November, sorry, thinking that you you learn next to nothing from your final pre-World Cup camp. You want to have some conclusions from that camp. Joe, if we want conclusions, who would, and, and Graham, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Who would you like to see start these two games? Would you like it to be Ferrer? Or would you rather see it be Pepe one game, Sergeant the other? I, I, I don't really care to see Pepe in this window, to be honest. I'd prefer to see Ferreira start one and Sergeant start the other. But I'm also not going to be bothered if one of those one of those players starts both games. My my general thesis, and I'll turn it to you, Graham, to answer that same question. For this window, I think is is the same as Berhalter's, and we can tell that from how he built the squad. the The point of this window is to, is I think is is to get the U.S.'s starters on the field for the World Cup. So that that's why I I would not prefer to see Pepe because I don't think he's at the same level as the other two number nines right now. So so my Ryan to, to drag it back to your question before flipping it to Graham. Is I think the goal for this window should be to see the U.S.'s best players go out there and play together, number one, and play well, number two. That means seeing the guys and seeing relatively little lineup rotation, relatively little additional experimentation that, that is just sort of tossed into there. It's going to be seeing Dest at right back, seeing Zimmerman and, and hopefully Richards, but I, I do think, Taylor, you mentioned CCV. I think Long is is probably the other option outside of Richards, oh, and yeah. it really wouldn't shock me if we saw Aaron Long, even though that wouldn't be my preference. It means seeing whoever at left back, maybe Scally in one and, and Vines in the other. It means seeing Adams, Musa, McKenney in one game, and maybe Adams, Musa, and Aronson in the other game in midfield with Aronson in that hybrid role. And it means seeing Reyna and Pulisic and Aronson in the front line as the three wingers for these two games. That's what this this camp, I think, should be all about. Yeah, you want to avoid injuries, but this is... This is also the time to go. This is the time to play and to really put your guys on the field and let them play yeah. together. You don't get another chance after this one. So anyway, Taylor, to answer your question, uh, honestly, don't remember what it was at this point. Something about number nines. <laughs> go ahead, Graham. You got this. Yeah, you answered it. Okay, cool. I think you basically want to do some road testing. I think this this should be camp cra- crash test dummy is what I'm going to call this because <laughs> basically you want to create the scenarios that you potentially are going to have at the World Cup. So first game, I want for 60 minutes... The, the guys, as you call them, Joe, the team that the, the, the strongest team you've got available, make sure that the chemistry is all there and your planning is working. And obviously this might be a little bit difficult because the match Japan in that first game, maybe they don't play into the hands of allowing you to road test some stuff. But that's at that point, the, the, the last half hour of that game, you, you, you game out that the match isn't going your way and you need to change some things. So maybe Aronson comes into number eight, maybe you try a plan B as, as, as a centre forward at that point. And then I think the second game, you kind of flip it the other way. You kind of um, you think, right, well, Anthony Robinson's got an injury for the, our second game at World Cup. Let's try someone else at left back. Let's try another centre-back partnership as well. And you kind of, you anticipate things going wrong at a tournament and you having to plug some gaps and you anticipate maybe where those gaps might 
might might appear and you come up with trying to start a game in that in that way as well so as i say this is all about road testing for me and trying to anticipate what issues you might face at the tournament graham you are aware that crash test dummies get injured on purpose right uh i don't think they're real people ryan Okay, analogy stands then. Very good. Ryan, Ryan, are you assuming that it's the band from the 90s, the crash test dummies that everybody's uh, using in those collisions? That's my wife saying yes. They use real people now. No, but you, you made the analogy of crash, a crash I know, test. I know, I'm j- I am. Just, I am just joking. Uh, Tesla does, but it's unofficial and lawsuit happen. Oh boy, we should uh, avoid the uh, electric fire truck of lawyers coming for us and probably end this one now, Tater. What do you say? What do you say? That was good. That was clever. Uh, I, I think I'll say my favorite thing of today was seeing that the Tesla repair truck is a Ford. That's good stuff. That's yeah, good stuff. It's powered by... Ground up dinosaurs, just like the rest of the cars. All right. Uh, Thank you very much, Taylor Oakwell, for your contributions to The Big Thing this week. Thank you, Ryan. Lovely to have you here talking about Americans for once. Yeah, it was. Joe Lowry, thank you very much. (laughs) Right back at you, Ryan. I am, I'm just, you know, really pleased to hear that Eunice Musa and Gio Reyna are in this this team and you didn't even make one comment about how they're yours. Maybe you're off your game. Maybe it's just a good day for me. Either way, it's been real. It's Joe growth, why? Graham. Joe, uh, Joe it's growth. It's growth <laughs> is what it is, okay? Um, Graham, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And uh, listener, thank you so much for joining us on this one. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll be on the feed soon, but for now, bye. Bye.